Would you open your Bible, please, to Psalm 102? You know, as most of you know, I've been away for a couple of weeks, and um, I preached a fair few times when I was away, um, which was a real blessing. I'd like to thank those uh, who prayed for me as I preached. Uh, it was 12 times in two weeks, uh, so that was um, lucky I like preaching, I guess. Um, but that was, a, um, it was really encouraging, particularly the camp. Uh, that was a real blessing. Uh, but I said to Emma as I was uh, coming home, um, Connell Park is my favorite place to preach. You know, this is my home, and you guys are the people that I like to preach to the most. And I'm not saying that just to suck up. I do mean that. Um, so that's, uh, that's how I felt even after all the preaching elsewhere. So I'm looking forward to getting back into preaching here. Uh, tonight it's more to- topical in nature. Um, so we will be considering a numerous portions of Scripture. And we'll be considering tonight uh, the immutability of God. Uh, in our Wednesday nights, our Bible study, uh, we started it late last year, and uh, we've picked it back up this year considering uh, some attributes of God. And um, we'd like to do it tonight, as I mentioned, so we can finish uh, this particular series on Wednesday night uh, before starting something new. So it's the immutability of God that's our focus for tonight. Uh, so let's pray, and uh, then we'll get into the sermon. Father, thank you for this night you've given to us. I do thank you for uh, the people who have come out uh, tonight uh, to worship you. And uh, Lord, as we come now to the preached word, uh, I do ask that the Holy Spirit would work in mighty ways tonight. Help us to understand um, what the Bible says about who you are and also help us to see uh, how this uh, is applicable to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everything around us, in us, and about us is constantly changing. In fact, there's so much change that usually we don't realize how much everything is actually changing. Now, one writer uh, that I read explained it like this, and I quote, he says, Almost everything about you is changing right now, even as you sit completely still. Your body is changing as every second you produce 25 million cells and your brain processes 100 million new pieces of information. Your location is changing at a rate of 65,000 miles per hour along with the rest of the large lump of rock we call the earth. This rock is itself changing all the time with the earth's crust moving continuously, continents changing shape and Mount Everest growing five centimeters every year. The sun, probably the largest and the most steady object you know anything about, is changing rather more dramatically. It is now 50 million tons lighter than it was when you started hearing this paragraph. Everything changes. I'm not a scientist, so I don't know if that's true. I read it in a theology book. Hopefully it's accurate. But it makes the point. Everything is changing. You know, think about uh, our lives. I know this is true. Lots of things change. We change jobs. We change hairstyles. Governments change, lifestyles change, our health changes, temperatures change, our children change, our spouse changes, our friends change, our church changes, our work changes. What we like changes, our character changes. Everything changes, that is everything except God. God does not and cannot change. This is one of his attributes, and it's referred to as immutability. And in this sermon, we're going to explore this particular attribute of God. 
We're going to determine what the immutability of God means and why it matters. Okay, that's the big idea of the sermon. And we're going to explore this attribute under four headings. Okay, heading number one is this, defining God's immutability. Okay, when we say God is immutable, what do we mean? Well, the term immutable, it comes from the Latin, and its uh, root word forms the basis of the English words mutant and mutation. But of course, it contains the negative prefix. And hence, it speaks of something that is unchanging, something that is without mutation or alteration. And when applied to God, it means that he does not change and he cannot change. So when it comes to God, it's more than he doesn't change. Now it's true that he is unchanging, but he is also unchangeable. Change is impossible with God. So we could say that God is unchanging and unchangeable in his person, purposes, plans, and promises. A change or alteration is not possible with God. He is without mutation, without variation, deterioration, or fluctuation. You know, one theologian gives this definition, and it's on your outline sheet. He says, God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. Yet God does act and feel emotions, and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. Okay, so let's unpack uh, this definition very briefly. So God is unchanging in his being. He is unchanging in his person. So who he is, is unchanging. And as we think about this, that's demanded by logic. Because all change is either for better or for worse. And since God is absolute perfection, he, he can't get better... And you can't get worse because it ceased to be perfect. So God has no need to grow or develop, meaning change is completely unnecessary. Okay, but more than that, with God, it is impossible. So in his person, he doesn't change. Okay, and this is why immutability is so important. Okay, immutability is the glue that holds it all together. Because it ensures that all the attributes of God that we've, that we've considered so far and the ones that we haven't, they're always true of God. God's immutability guarantees that God will always be eternal. He will always be all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-sufficient. He will always be infinite. He, he will always be love. He will always be gracious and merciful. Okay, whatever the attribute may be, God will always be who he is. He's always been the same and he will always be the same. That is assured by this attribute of immutability. He's also unchanging in his plans and purposes. Okay, that means what he's doing and what he will do. Now, we do need to understand that immutability doesn't mean that God is immobile and inactive. Okay, he's not static, but rather he is actively engaged. Nor does it mean that God deals with every situation and every person in the exact same way. God can bring about his unchanging purposes 
in many ways. He can deal with similar situations differently and not contradict his immutability. You know, it's a bit like as a parent. I've got four children and I need to deal with them differently because they're different personalities. I can't deal with them exactly the same. But my goal is the same. It's just achieving that goal in different ways. And that's the same with God. Now, his immutability also ensures that his promises are unalterable. If God has promised something, he will do it. God will not change his mind. He he won't back out of the agreement that he's made. And that is wonderful news, can news that we'll come back to toward the end. So when it comes to our definition, very simply, God is unchanging and unchangeable in his person, purposes, plans, and promises. Now, with that definition in mind, we need to ask this question, does the Bible attribute this to God? And this is our second point, scriptural evidence of God's immutability. So the Bible is God's self-revelation. It's in the Bible that we learn what God is like. And the scriptures certainly testify that God is immutable. I'd like to share with you four examples. Okay, the first is Psalm 101, verses 25 to 27. This formed our scripture reading. It says, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. So the focus of the psalmist in these verses is the unchanging nature of God. And if we were to look at the wider context of the psalm, okay, the psalmist is suffering. Okay, and this is something that is a great comfort to him in the midst of the immense suffering of his life. And he uses the creation in these verses to illustrate the immutability of God. And the poetic point of the psalmist is this. So he he takes something that you and I would regard as seemingly unchanging. Something like the foundations of the earth. And he says, well, even they perish. He says, you know, creation, it's just like an old shirt. I'm sure most of us have got, you know, those old shirts that are jammed in the bottom of the drawer somewhere that come out once or twice a year. We don't want anyone else to see us wearing them because it's embarrassing, but it's good for painting. You know, those types of clothes. Okay, that's the idea. And we understand that clothing has a very limited use-by date. We all have a favorite shirt that we're very sad to get rid of. Okay, and this is what the universe is like compared to God. Okay, it's a garment that's getting old and it needs to be changed. So everything around us is changing and will be changed, except one thing, and that is God. Notice verse 27, but thou art the same. The Lord doesn't grow old. The Lord doesn't grow weak. He doesn't deteriorate like that garment. Everything else changes. Everything else eventually wears out, but not God. He has always been the same, and he always will be the same. He doesn't change. So text number two is Malachi chapter three. Uh, If you could turn there, that would be good. Malachi chapter three. If you get to Matthew, you've gone just a little bit too far. Malachi chapter three, and we'll read verse six. It 
Malachi 3 verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So the context of this text is a people who needed to return to the Lord. God's people had been very unfaithful. They had been very wicked. And yet, ironically, it was these people who were questioning and doubting God. In fact, they were accusing him of changing and being unfaithful. But the Lord assures them that this was not the case, that their accusation was false. Now, he says in verse 6, he says, I am the Lord. We need to understand this is his covenant name. So he's recalling the covenant to mind. And he says, I change not. The sense of the Hebrew verb is, I have not changed and I do not change. And here's the proof. Okay, Here's the evidence that I don't change. You have not been consumed. The Lord says, if I changed, I would have consumed you. I would have destroyed you. Because God's people had been incredibly unfaithful. And yet the Lord had not destroyed them. He had not given up on the nation of Israel. Why? Well, it's because God doesn't change. He will keep his covenant. His immutability ensures that his promises will be kept. And he assures the people that if he was the kind of God that they were accusing him of being, they would no longer exist. So this teaches that even mankind's wickedness doesn't change God. Text number three is James chapter one. So if you could turn there, please, James chapter one. And then we'll read verses 16 and 17. James one, verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The saints to whom this was written were enduring immense trials and tribulations in their life. And as they were suffering, they were beginning to doubt and question God's character. And they were particularly beginning to question the goodness of God. Okay, this is what they were wrestling with. Okay, if, if God is good, why are we suffering in this way? And this is addressed in the verses that we just read. And James exhorts them, okay, do not err. Okay, don't be deceived into thinking that God is not good. Okay, I understand you're having a hard time. You are enduring these trials, but God is still good. And James stresses that, that God is infinitely good. And this is proven by all of the good gifts that he gives. And that doesn't change. And James is saying, okay, God hasn't stopped being good to you, even though you're suffering. Okay, that's the point that God goes on, sorry, that James goes on to make. And he establishes the unchanging nature of God's goodness. And he says about God, he says, with God, there's no variableness, that there's no shadow of turning. So God isn't like the shadows. Okay, God isn't like the light that's constantly changing. As one author put it, he said, we earthlings are subjected to constantly changing light. The sun rises and our shadows fall long to the west. It stands high at noon, brightening all. 
And as it sets, our shadows are to the east until they fade to nothingness. Day and night, light perpetually changes. The moon waxes full and wanes to a crescent. Light is reflected and refracted differently moment by moment, but it is not so with God. God does not change like shifting shadows. So that's the point that James is making. God is good, and that is unchanging. Okay, who, who God is, his character does not and cannot change. A text number four, just a couple of pages back, is Hebrews 13 and verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. That's a very simple and yet a marvelous affirmation, isn't it? Jesus has never and will never change. No matter what may happen, no no matter what changes may occur in this world or in your life, Jesus is always the same. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, next week, next year, for all eternity, Jesus Christ will remain the same. He does not and cannot change. Now what makes this point particularly powerful in context is that the book of Hebrews is all about proving the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Remember at the table this morning we saw the word better. Okay, that's a key term in the book of Hebrews. And the Christians to whom this was written, that they were being tempted to go back to Judaism because the cost of following Christ, it was high. And they thought, hey, life would be easier if we, if we just went back to Judaism. And hence the author of this book, he goes about proving the supremacy of Jesus. And his point is, okay, Jesus is better. Jesus is supreme. Why would you give that up and go back to Judaism? And one of the points that he makes throughout the book is that the pillars of Judaism were destined to be temporary. The old covenant. The sacrifices, the priesthood, they were never intended to be permanent. All the foundations of Judaism, all the ways of Jewish life, they're changeable. But not Jesus. Jesus is always the same. He has never changed. He will never change. And that makes him superior. So the Bible is very clear that immutability is an attribute of God. He does not And he cannot change. That's the clear testimony of Scripture. But if that's true, as I've suggested, how are we to understand the portions of Scripture that speak of God repenting? Okay, what what does repentance mean? Okay, repentance very basically means a change of mind. And the Bible says that God repents. So how how do we explain this apparent contradiction? Well, thirdly, let's consider a common objection to God's immutability. There's a whole movement today that believes and teaches that God can and does change. It teaches that God is a work in progress. He grows, he matures, he's developing, he adapts. He is changing to the varying situations that we see in this world. And this is referred to as the openness of God or process theology. 
Okay, so it teaches that God is open to change. He's in process. And this uh, new theology has produced a new God. Okay, that's what new theology always does. Okay, and this false theology denies that God must be unchanging. Okay, and the way that it's presented is that this is a more, this is a positive, this is a relatable concept. Wouldn't you prefer to, to have a God who can adapt and change to different situations and different societies? You know, not some old school God from thousands of years ago who's just stuck in the past. But rather, wouldn't you want a God who is constantly changing to meet the needs of the times that we live? And the theologians who hold to this false theology make much of the portions of Scripture that talk about God repenting because they believe this proves that God changes. Okay, so how do we explain these portions of Scripture? How can God be both immutable and be said to repent? Okay, there are three main portions of Scripture where we're told that God repents. Okay, so Genesis chapter 6, let's turn there please. Genesis chapter 6 and verses 5 and 6 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Okay, so the context here, of course, is the flood of Noah. And God saw the great wickedness of mankind. He saw that it had completely pervaded the earth. And he repented that he had made mankind, and he decided that he was going to judge the world. Okay, so that's the first text that mentions God repenting. The second is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Okay, so Genesis 6, that's about Noah and the flood. 1 Samuel 15, this is about uh, King Saul. And I will read verses 11 uh, and 29. Um, just to, to set the scene, okay, this is where Saul okay, was told what to do. Okay, you need to wipe them all out, but he disobeyed. Verse 11, okay, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. Okay, so it repenteth me, but then verse 29. And also the strength of Israel, okay, that's God, will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Okay, so this appears to be an apparent contradiction. Verse 29, okay, God is not like a man that he should repent. So God doesn't change his mind. So that seems to confirm God's immutability. But then verse 11 says, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. Okay, so, so this seems at least slightly confusing. And the context here is that Saul had disobeyed the clear instructions of God. He had failed as king. And this assured that he would be removed as king. Okay, so Genesis 6, 1 Samuel 15, and the final one is Jonah chapter 3. So we'll look at this and then we'll come back and consider how we can explain this. Okay, Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 says, And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way 
And God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and he did it not. So here it's speaking about Nineveh. And previously God had declared that judgment was coming. Okay, that was the message that Jonah eventually preached in Nineveh. You need to repent because the Lord is going to judge. And the city actually repented of their wickedness. And their repentance resulted in God repenting and not sending the judgment. Okay, so there are the three main places where the scriptures speak of God repenting. So, so how are we to understand this? How are we to explain this? How can God be immutable and it also be said that he repents? Okay, three key points. Number one is defining repentance. When we as mankind, okay, when we repent, it's a change of mind about sin. Thing is with God, God doesn't sin. So straight away, this should cause us to think that this is not saying the exact same thing as when man repents, okay, because God doesn't sin, that there is some difference that we're meant to understand when this term is employed. The second thing we need to ask is who changes? Okay, in all of these cases, I want you to notice that it's mankind who changed. In the days of Noah, it was the people who become wicked. They changed. Saul had changed. That was proven by his disobedience. And the people of Nineveh, they had changed. This time it was positively. Okay, they repented of their wickedness. So in all three of these situations, it's the people who changed. And God merely changed in how he was going to deal with them. Okay, and that does not annul immutability. Because God can and does deal with people differently in accordance to his character and his purposes. And in these situations, since the people changed, that meant God dealt with them differently. And that's what's encapsulated in this term, repent. Okay, there are changes in man and there are changes in God's dealings with them, but not in God himself. And then the third key point is using human experiences to help us understand God. Okay, the Bible often uses human experiences to explain things about God that are beyond human experience. And just because the Bible explains God in a way that we can understand, it doesn't mean that he has the same limitations as you and I. And here's an example of this. In Psalm 78 and verse 65, there it says, The Lord awaked as one out of sleep. Okay, but we know God doesn't sleep. Okay, this is merely a writing device to help you and I understand God. Okay, it's using a relatable human experience to help us understand an infinite God. And this is what's being done with repentance. It's using a human experience to explain something that is beyond human experience. It's called anthropomorphic language. Okay, it's the attribution of human characteristics, emotions, and situations to God in order to help us understand him. 
So these three points show us how we are to understand the Bible when it says God repents. And one author offers this helpful summary. He says, it is true that there is a group of texts which speak of God as repenting. The reference in each case to a reversal of God's previous treatment of particular men consequent upon their reaction to that treatment. But there is no suggestion that his reaction was not foreseen or that it took God by surprise and it was not provided for in his eternal plan. No change in his eternal purpose is implied when he begins to deal with man in a new way. So God repenting in no way contradicts his immutability. Okay, God, God is not open. God is not some working progress. Okay, the Bible is very clear that God is always the same. He does not change. He cannot change because he is infinitely perfect. So we come back to the definition. He is unchanging and unchangeable in his person, purposes, plans, and promises. Okay, that's the clear testimony of the scriptures. But what does this mean for us? Okay, why, why does this matter? And this leads to the final point, okay, implications of God's immutability. I'd like to share with you three. Okay, number one, God's disposition toward us is unchanging. Okay, God's disposition toward us is unchanging. Do you know anybody in your life who some days it seems like they're your best friend, but then other days that they hardly want to know you? I've worked with a lot of alcoholics when I was a tradesman, and this is something that characterizes them. Okay, one day they will be your best friend, and the next day they won't want to talk to you. Alcoholic tradesmen will be your best friend one day and not want to talk to you the next. Uh, they will be a lot friendlier at four o'clock in the afternoon compared to seven o'clock in the morning. And they will be a lot friendlier on Friday afternoon than they will be on Monday morning. Okay, and it's always a little bit tricky. You think, you know, I wonder what person is going to show up today, particularly when you're working closely with them. Okay, but thankfully God is never like that. He is always the same in his disposition toward us and understand that if you're a christian god loves you unconditionally and that will never change you don't have to wake up in the morning and think you know i wonder if god loves me today or not okay in christ he views you favorably he, he has a kind and gracious disposition toward you and understand that that's not dependent on your performance Okay, God does not only delight in you and love you when you measure up, but also when you mess up. Okay, you don't have to earn his love and grace. Okay, this is unchanging because of God's character. Okay, you don't need to fear that God will stop loving you tomorrow. Our God doesn't have mood swings. Okay, he's not bipolar. You know, he's not like that alcoholic tradesman that I referenced. He doesn't love us one day but despises the next. You know, imagine how horrifying that would be, not knowing how God would treat us from day to day. N not knowing if God is for us or against us today, but we never have that worry as believers because he is settled and unchanging in his delight and love toward us. 
He loves us now and he will love us forever because of Jesus Christ. And what a great comfort that is for God's people. When we come to him, we never have to wonder, man, I hope God's in a receptive mood today. And shouldn't that motivate prayer? Because we know every time we come to him, he will be receptive of us. He's always receptive of us. God's disposition toward the Christian is unchanging. The second implication is that God's plan of salvation is unchanging. In the Bible, God says that all are created by him and yet we've rebelled against him. All of mankind have sinned and we become the enemies of God. There is this hostility between God and man and our sin must be dealt with. And the just punishment for sin is separation from God for all eternity in the lake of fire. That's, that's the bad news of the gospel. But God had a plan. And his plan was to send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this world. And Jesus lived the perfect life that we never could. And Jesus Christ went to the cross. And there at the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He was punished in our place. God's wrath was unleashed on him. He was treated as though he was the sinner, even though he was perfect. And he died. Okay, that's the penalty. That's the penalty for sin. But he rose again. And my friend, now salvation is possible. It's possible if you repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is God's plan. And I want you to understand that has always been God's plan. Okay, that was determined in eternity past. Throughout all of history, that has always been the plan. That there has never been another plan for salvation and there never will be. Okay, it's not like that's one option, but there's option B and C. No, there's only one option. Okay, even when we think about the Old Testament, okay, I think this can confuse people sometimes. Okay, Old Testament were not saved okay, by the sacrifices. Okay, the sacrifices pointed forward to the cross. Okay, Old Testament is saved the same way as we're saved, except their faith is in something forward. Our faith is in something back. Okay, it's the same way. God is not going to change his mind. Okay, the plan of salvation will always be the same. And think about that. That's very good news. Because imagine you're on your deathbed. And then God decides to change the way of salvation. It's too late for you. Imagine that. Imagine getting to heaven and, oh, hey, Brendan, didn't you hear the bad news? God changed his mind. And your admittance to heaven is denied. How horrible that would be. But such a scenario is impossible because God is unchangeable, which means his plan of salvation is unchangeable. And that's the basis of our assurance of salvation. Okay? We can be assured that we are saved and that we will stay saved because God has promised that and God must keep his promises because he is immutable. And then the third and final implication is what I've called the myth of human immutability. Okay, immutability is classed as an incommunicable attribute. And what that means is that it's an attribute that's possessed by God, but it's not possessed by us. Okay, some of God's attributes are called communicable attributes because we can possess them. Okay, think of love, mercy, and grace. 
But we cannot possess immutability. We are not unchanging and unchangeable because we can and we do change. And in light of that, we need to dismiss the lie, okay, the lie that comes straight from the pit of hell that we are unable to change. Okay, and this is what I mean. Okay, think about this. We've all been guilty of this. We've all experienced this. We've been challenged about sin in our life. And this is our immediate response. Okay, that's just who I am. That, that's just what I'm like. Everyone in my family is like that. I, I'm just the same. I, I can't help it. I can't change. Do you know when we're talking like that, what you're declaring is, I am immutable. But my friend, that is a lie. Okay, that's lie, lie, lie. We can change. We need to change. Okay, it's not true that we as Christians can't change. There's no such thing as a sin that cannot be overcome as a believer. Okay, because the whole Christian life is about what? what what's sanctification all about? Sanctification is about change. Okay, if we can't change, can't be sanctified. And hence, through the power of God, there is nothing about me that cannot be changed. And maybe there is a sin in your life, and, and it's deeply ingrained. Maybe you're notoriously bitter, or you're constantly gossiping, or you're engrossed in pornography, or you're constantly lying. You're a neglectful spouse or parent. Well, whatever the besetting sin may be, understand it's possible to change because you're not immutable. It's only God who cannot change. So stop offering up all of these lame and lousy excuses because through the power of the unchanging God, you can make changes in your life. With God's help, all sin can be overcome because we are not immutable. And that's very good news that you and I are able to change. But it's even better news that God cannot change. Okay, that's the glue that holds everything together because if God could change, then nothing is certain. But the Bible is very clear that God is unchanging and unchangeable in his person, purposes, plans, and promises. We serve an unchanging Savior. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. That's the attribute of immutability, and that is very good news for us as the followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for who you are. We're so thankful and grateful that you are uh, immutable. And our Lord, I do pray that as we you know, think through these things, uh, that our awe and wonder for you uh, would increase, uh, but also that uh, you know, we would not uh, pretend uh, to possess an attribute that does not uh, belong to us. You know, it's good news that we can change. Please help us with that. But it's even better news uh, that you cannot change. And uh, we thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.